up, football fans? It's finally here! Game week action! The real thing. As you know, I love the NFL offseason, but I am more than ready to watch the real thing at this point after months of prognosticating. I'm eager to see what we're right about, what we're wrong about, who's going to emerge that we didn't even know to talk about. I cannot wait. And what a great game to kick us off. Bills Rams with a 51 and a half point total that I would not at all be surprised to see go over. In fact, if I were betting the game, I think that I would take the over. I think that while the defenses are both very good, that the offenses are also, and I think that they'll push each other. I think I like the Bills better than the Rams a little bit this year, so I'm taking them to win as a two and a half point favorite. I'll go ahead and lay the points. Then looking ahead to Sunday, what gloriousness awaits us here? Nine games in the early window, four in the afternoon. We've got Bucks Cowboys on Sunday Night Football with their new logo, Sunday Night Football. Have you seen it? NBC changed the logo. It's like white words on a black background. Not particularly an upgrade in my opinion, but no one asked. Also Sunday Night Football related, Joan Jett played at a concert that I went to recently and I was like, am I the only one singing the Sunday Night Football theme song in my head rather than the original Hate Myself for Loving You lyrics? Possibly. Anyway, Monday night, dun-dun-dun, with its new broadcast crew, Buck and Aikman. They've got the Broncos, Seahawks, and Russell's return to Seattle. Will they boo him? God, I hope not. I don't think that they will either. I don't think Seattle is a, like, boo a former player type of city. At least not a Russell Wilson former player. Not in that scenario. Anyway, more on Russell, by the way, is uh, coming up on this podcast with our guest today, the wonderful JT O'Sullivan, who is about as excited about Russ's cooking in Denver as I am, which is to say, not all that excited. We also talk about the quarterbacks in Pittsburgh, Trubisky and Pickett. Found out this week that Trubisky will start against the Bengals in Cincinnati, which I don't think is all that surprising, though I do think that we'll probably see Pickett later this season. There's a part of me, though, that doesn't necessarily think that it's going to be all that bad with Trubisky, and so the opportunity to pivot might not be so cut and dry, but we'll see. Also found out this week that Joe Flacco will be the starting quarterback for the J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 against his old team from Baltimore, which, by the way, is my favorite defense to stream this week in fantasy for, I think, obvious reasons. It sounds like we're going to be seeing a lot of Joe for a while, actually. Robert Sala telling us Wednesday that Zach Wilson will be missing the first three weeks of the season at least as he recovers from arthroscopic knee surgery from mid-August, says the earliest that we will see him back on the field is week four against Pittsburgh, and he emphasized earliest, so I'm not sure that that's even a for sure thing. Well, it's definitely not a for sure thing. You know what I mean. Who's excited to see Baker Mayfield take on his old squad? That game is early on Sunday, Panthers at home, favored by one and a half, and providing for us the best quote of the week. It came from Nick Chubb, who said, quote, we all know Baker, so I don't know what to expect. (laughs) How incredible is that quote? What? I don't even know if he, like, meant it as a dig. He might have just been like, you know, well, we all know him, so I don't know, you know. But, man, it reads like the most, ah, it's just perfect. Anyway, I I don't know what to expect from Green Bay. What will that offense look like against the Vikings? I know Rodgers wore a Make Green Bay Great Again shirt this week, just leaning into his new job as a pot stirrer. Shirt has a Rodgers-Lazard election theme on it, and I don't know if he's going to have Lazard. For this first game. As I record this right now, his status is uncertain for Sunday. After getting stepped on in practice last week, he did not practice Tuesday or Wednesday, so who knows who Rodgers will be throwing to on Sunday. Very interested to see what that offense looks like. Still don't know if Brady will have Godwin to throw to in week one. Both Godwin and Todd Bowles have been non-committal about him playing this week, coming off the ACL injury. If I had to guess, I would say we probably don't see him. They've talked a lot about wanting to be careful, not putting him out there before it's time. I think the signs point to them easing him in. I don't think that's going to be the case with James Robinson. It sounds like he is going to be active on Sunday against the Commanders. 
which is incredible considering he tore his Achilles eight and a half months ago. And we'll see how Peterson decides to use him out of the gate, but I do think it's notable that Peterson noted this week something I've been saying a lot this offseason, and that is that Robinson and Travis Etienne are different types of runners, and they both fit with what they want to do in the run game. I think that we're going to see a lot of both of them this season. Uh, if not out of the gate, then soon. And I think that James Robinson will end up being a pretty good fantasy value for a lot of people who have been grabbing him in the 120-plus pick range. He's going as RB46. That said, if you did draft him in fantasy, I would not start him this week. I'd go ahead and play it safe for a week and see what his workload and health look like before plugging him in. At the other end of the spectrum, I know a lot of us have been kind of down on Antonio Gibson based on how things have gone for him in the preseason. But if you do have him, I would play him this week. With Robinson, Brian Robinson, shelved, Antonio is going to be the guy for them this week. And until Brian is healthy and ready to make a run. And even in a disappointing season last year, Antonio Gibson averaged 14 points per game in PPR formats. So... Lots to look forward to this week. I'm also, for the first time in a very long time, it feels like, excited to watch my USC Trojans, who were so fun to watch last week. And I'm just warning you, I'm going to be very obnoxious this season. I've already started talking shit to my husband. I'm kind of talking shit to my son, who insists on sticking with his dad's UCLA fandom. I have told him that that's a bad choice, and there's still time to fix it but I'm pretty sure that that's only making him dig in his heels further. You know, all you can do with your kids is give them every opportunity. If they make the wrong choices with those opportunities, that's on them, right? By the way, the first thing that my guest today said when he hopped on our Zoom and dropped in on me raving about USC to my producer, Andrew, he says, you going to play Rice every week? Which made me both love him and hate him at the exact same time. Genuinely, though, I am a huge fan of JTO Sullivan. If you are unfamiliar with him, his story's pretty incredible. He started out as a quarterback at UC Davis, a D2 school at the time. No NFL aspirations, really. But then he kind of kicked ass there and landed on the NFL radar. Even got a Heisman vote in 2000. Uh, He got drafted in 2002 in the sixth round, went on to spend over a decade kind of bouncing around the league as a backup quarterback, did have a short stint as a starter in San Francisco, eight games in 2008, ended up leaving the NFL in 2012, and now he has a YouTube channel that features him watching tape and breaking down quarterback performance in a way that is far more entertaining than I think that description actually sounds. He is witty in kind of a dry way. Clearly knows what he's talking about, so you feel like you're getting smarter as a football fan. His voice actually reminds me a little bit of Daniel Jeremiah, which now that I've said that, you'll be like, not even a little bit, Lindsay, but I've had that thought before listening to him, kind of a smooth, lower register voice. Let me know if you agree uh, or disagree. Anyway, he's a great evaluator of quarterbacks, and I thought that he would be a very interesting person to help set the table for the season at that position, as so many quarterbacks find themselves in kind of a make-it-or-break-it kind of year. So without further ado, let's break the huddle with J.T. O'Sullivan. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? JT, I am so excited to have you on. I have been looking forward to talking to you since I found out that you had said yes. I legit, our producer Andrew can tell you, I was legitimately like very excited. I've been trying to find a way to get a hold of you for about a year and a half since I first heard you on the PFF Forecast podcast. I literally DM'd George Tahuri as I was listening to it and was like, how did I not know about him? I think your style, delivery content, all of it is so stinking good. So thank you so much for saying yes and uh, gracing us with your presence here. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure I believe you, but yeah. What? I just, I gave you a very sincere and authentic, like, I don't rave like that about everybody, JT. I really do. I like your content so much. I like, I feel like in many ways I am your audience, which is kind of gets me to like, what you think your audience is. I'm curious about the process that you uh, went through to get into the space that you're in right now. How did you get into making the videos that you're making and the way that you're making them? Tell me about the process there coming off an NFL career. Yeah. uh, I needed a break from football when I was done playing. 
I just had moved around so much and bounced around so much that I just needed a break. And I was interested in other things. So I went back to school. And then when I was done with school, all of a sudden I was going to have all this time on my hands. And I didn't know if I wanted to get back into the football world. And I knew what I didn't want to do. Like I didn't want to have to coach and travel and get fired and like just like do that. And so it kind of limits your options. You've done enough old. of the extended stay hotels in your career. Yeah, I just, sort of like it that. wasn't for me. It wasn't nah. for me. And, uh, but I still loved football and it really gave me a lot and it operated as like a trampoline in my life. And so figuring out what that looked like, my brother was kind of in the podcast game and he's a cinematographer. And so he was like, if I had to start over again, I wouldn't do a podcast. I'd do a YouTube channel. And I was like, well, I'm watching YouTube a lot, probably more than I'm watching TV. So that sounds good. And he's like, you can, you know, we can figure out what it looks like. And it just, just keeps getting better as you get better and more comfortable in it. You don't have to move. You don't have to go to an office. You don't have to, you know, there's not a team. It's just you. And so that's kind of how it started. And I kind of realized that this was kind of my sweet spot for it because I got to kind of pick and choose whatever I wanted to do. And there could be interaction with the community and people that like the content. But really, I come at it from kind of my own experience with ball. Where I'm a player, former player, coach, former coach, fan. And I can kind of touch all of those buckets and realize you know, pick whatever I think is interesting and dive down that rabbit hole. And there's no time constraint about got to get it in with this or got to get it in with this small window. So I can, I can go crazy long. I can go short. I can kind of do whatever I want. And that just kind of resonates with my vibe. Did you ever try or think about trying to do like the TV thing, the more traditional analyst route? And I honestly never did. Uh, just because, well, for a few different reasons, I didn't necessarily think I was that good of a player to be able to do that route. <laughs> but then the idea being that it's a kind of the same racket to a certain extent. I mean, there's always the next guy who is retiring, you're moving, you're traveling, you know, you're doing, you know, I'm the whole reason that I love to be home and be around my kids is that, you know, I get to experience what they're experiencing on the weekend, doing the sports thing, coaching the youth soccer, like that's my jam. And so I'm not missing that to go you know, try to chase some other dream that I've already had with football. I, first of all, the point that you made about not having been a good enough player for it. That's one of my, the biggest problems that I have with the way that the TV game operates. I mean, there are several, I don't want to offend too many people by going through the litany of reasons. I might, they might come up in this podcast though. Um, but to me, that's the biggest mistake that that TV executives make because a lot of times, you know, like what you should be looking for is the person who can bring the most value added from a content standpoint to your television program, make them into a star. You see it happen all the time. People who, I mean, I don't want to say Orlovsky is an example of that in a, in a way that is offensive, right? Like, but like Orlovsky is to me an example of somebody that certain TV networks might not have been as excited about hiring. Um, and I think he's exactly the type of guy you, you, they've turned him into a star or he has turned himself into a star when given the opportunity, because he is actually like when he watches football games, he knows what he sees that is different than the average viewer. And he's excited to tell you about them. Um, And that's one of the things that I really like about your videos is I feel like that is something missing in a lot of analysts that like connecting those dots of like, here's what I see that I know you probably don't see. And I'm going to tell you, and you're going to find it interesting and you're going to get to be a smarter uh, football fan as a result. Did, did you ever feel like, do you think that was part of the component there for you is that like you found what you saw on television, not really appealing because it didn't seem to touch the bases that you felt like you wanted to touch. Uh, I mean, there was probably an element of that. I think for me growing up, and you probably have a pretty good understanding of this, I think people from the outside of ball don't, that there's a lot of what I consider just nepotism in football. And so in the coaching world specifically, and then kind of tethered to the quarterback position too. And so I always felt like there was like this information that I didn't have access to. Like what's behind the veil? Like what are they really doing? Like how is it, you know, even when you get to college, you're like, that it's better on Sundays. And then you get to Sundays and you're like, you know, there's some people that probably shouldn't be in this that are in this, you know, and there are some, same with TV. There are some people who are making decisions for franchises that probably shouldn't be making decisions. And so you're, you're kind of like, you realize that it's not that. 
And so I was always like, man, I wish I would have known, you know, these little secrets earlier. And I didn't necessarily have that kind of insider knowledge that when I looked across the landscape of the league, you know, this coach is, you know, related to this coach and this coach is dating, this coach is, you know, those types of things that are just, I was ignorant, you know, I was just playing at recess. And so I wanted to kind of share that and realize that there are some tricks of the trade that I think could make young players and fans better understand ball and accelerate the learning curve. And I, I wanted that. And so I'm happy to share that type of stuff. And if it resonates with people, it resonates, but it's, it's not necessarily intentional to, gosh, I wish the analysts would have told me this, you know, during the broadcast, I'm actually not that great at listening. Like I don't, (laughs) especially for people talking to me about football, like I'm pretty good about having like three or four TVs on and not really paying attention to what the color analyst is saying. That's no disrespect. I like many of those people. But it's just, you know, that's just how I consume the content. Who do you think of as your audience when you're making your videos? Uh, I really, I, I honestly think of it as multiple buckets of guys who people who want to play the position, uh, coaches, and then just kind of the probably the biggest bucket is just diehard people who love ball, who want more information, who don't necessarily have an outlet or don't have a resource or don't have, you know, multiple coaches in their cell phone that they can call and ask about a concept or ask about a read or ask about, you know, how this organization does things. And so that probably is my biggest, and that's not necessarily, those are kind of the intentional ones that I hit. There are some other ones that, that I, that I really like, like I love the international audience, people just starving to learn American football and, and, and that, those types of things. But I think it's just diehards that want to learn more about ball. You're huge in Europe. I bet. I, I have spent a bizarrely a lot of time playing American football in Europe. So That's I feel true. like I'm, I get I get my people in Europe. <laughs> you can give them like little Easter egg shout outs. Like I know yeah. about this. I, I was in let's Frankfurt. Not, let's not chant when the offense is on the field. That was a hard one. <laughs> Did that happen when you played there? Oh yeah. My wife tells a great story about having to like go up to like the diehard fans for the Frankfurt Galaxy and be like, this this is not, you know international football or soccer like we don't want to chant when we're trying to communicate at the line of scrimmage and they just they love the drums yeah and i love the energy and so it's just about kind of finding that happy spot about learning a little bit more about the sport oh how intentional have you been in your um your videos uh about like the style that you want to have because i feel like you have a very specific style that i find very appealing in that um, you sound like you're just talking, like it sounds stream of consciousness. I'm sure that there's some planning that goes into it, um, but you sound like you're just watching, like, I'm going to put the video on and then I'm going to watch it and you're going to get every thought. Like there was a video that I watched of yours that you had done about Tua. I think it was, yeah, it was Tua where you were just like laughing and it was so genuine. You're like, Oh my gosh, he did that again. You know? And like, it sounds like you're enjoying it. And so I think people are getting more used to because people are used to podcasts and stuff like that. Listening to people talk in bursts longer than 45 seconds, which is what we're used to hearing, you know, in terms of TV spots and radio spots. And so they can just sit and like spend some time with you while you watch video. And I think you are very much yourself while you're doing it. Like, it doesn't feel like you're trying to be a broadcaster or like, you know, your voice doesn't change. None of that weird stuff. Um, has that been an intentional choice or do you, uh, is that just kind of what came naturally to you? I would say a little bit of both. I, I think when I first started, I, I just, I've always thought that it's, this probably sounds like a super cliche, but like, I mean, I, I can only be me, you know, and, I, and when it comes to that, like, I don't really care enough to like, try to try to fake the voice thing. Like I just, I never thought of myself in that way. I don't, I didn't, you know, I just, that's just not me. And then the part about like the, the stream of consciousness or just like the conversational element, the kind of mental model in my head I have when I'm trying to create it is just what is it like in the NFL quarterback room? Like that's what it's like. Like you watch each other and you're like, that play is crazy. Like, look at this. Like this guy shouldn't be able to do this. This guy's a freak or, hey, this is not good. Like this person's going to be looking for a job soon. Like this bad ball. And so it, I think people would be shocked to realize that those are the conversations that just happen you know, whether it's a couple of quarterbacks watching film together, the quarterback coach, the coordinator, whatever that's like, it's pretty informal. You can, you might have like, Hey, we want to get through this third down clip, but like, if something comes up, it comes up and you appreciate it because everybody's a fan of ball and we all are kind of enjoying this all at the same time. 
And you're pointing out the very, very good. And you're pointing out the very, very bad and kind of taking it all in um, without lumping it into like a, this player is, you know, the, the theme of this entire thing is going to be, this person is bad or this person is good. It's very specific about things that they do that are good or bad, need some work um, and could, could contribute in, in the NFL. It's a really interesting time. I think in the NFL from a quarterback position standpoint, I think that there are a lot of people around the league that, that are facing some pretty big years in terms of, you know, kind of show me now. Um, and I think that there are some other people who are looking to establish themselves. Obviously the rookies kind of fall into that category. And so I want to get your thoughts about a few of them. Um, specifically starting with the Steelers, maybe, because I think they have an interesting situation in Trubisky, who I think was in a bad situation in Chicago. And so there's a part of me that's curious to see what he can do when he's not in a bad situation. I'm not sure if you agree with me about the bad situation in Chicago, but I was not a big fan of the way that Nagy used any of his quarterbacks. So, um, so I'm a little bit optimistic about Trubisky, maybe more than like the field, so to speak. But then I also think that they have a rookie in Kenny Pickett who showed some really interesting things uh, in the preseason and the short bursts that we did get to see him. So how do you view that quarterback situation as a whole, I suppose? I mean, I, I would agree with everything that you said there. I think it'll be, you know, as, as someone who struggled through the Nagy film, you know, it's, it's, you, you want to see someone else get an opportunity in something that looks different. Now, what that looks like in Pittsburgh, I think is TBD to a certain extent. I think it's probably not a great sign. You know, they can tell you whatever they want and the talking points from Tomlin can be whatever you want. But if you draft someone in the first round, they're playing. You know, they're, 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 they're playing. And so, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that looks like as far as when it happens or what it looks like, but you know, I think if you were a young quarterback and if I was a young quarterback in the league, there are very few organizations that I would be very, very excited about being part of. And I think the Steelers are one of those, you know, over the time. And if you look over the landscape, the longitudinal kind of peak at the league, that's a great place to be. I don't know, you know, what it looks like necessarily in the short time, but I'm excited to see what Kenny Pickett looks like. I think his film of just the preseason, super small sample size, preseason, get all of those things. You know, the guy's crazy accurate, short to intermediate. I think he continues to struggle to push the ball down the field. What that looks like in the league, you know, we'll see. But what he does well and what getting the ball out of his hands and operating in certain progressions, I think, showed a lot of promise. But, you know, I, it's one of those things where people like to say, like, we love having a competition. It's a great competition. We're all competitors. It's never good, right? It's never good. It's just never good. Like we can, we can pretend that it is. It's probably not going to be great this year. If for but. no other reason than like rep distribution, right? And you know about that as somebody who was a little bit further down the depth chart that would sometimes get like no reps at practice, you know, with the the first team. And so you're putting yourself behind the eight ball if if and when you're eventually asked to go in. And in this situation, if you're having a competition, that's just reps that you're not getting. Yeah, I mean, I think I look at it that, that that's certainly a part of it. I would probably frame it differently and realize, you know, what is the intent of what we're trying to do with Kenny Pickett? Is it, is it immediate development? Do we need performance? You know, what are, what are the expectations and is there, is there even a specific plan about what they're trying to do? They might not need to, you know, project that plan to the public, but you'd have to have some capacity to develop someone when they're not playing. And so I think a, a, a nice kind of snapshot would be like, what do the 49ers look like this year when it comes to that type of development? Because they obviously we're in the same type of boat, so to speak, as far as developing a quarterback. And so I think it's one of those times where you, you touched on it. It's such a kind of almost golden era of quarterback play where we've got these guys at the tail end of their career who are still playing really well. We've got these ridiculously young, talented guys that are just dynamic, arm talent, athletic ability, really special. So you have to hit, you know, you got to hit with a younger player. And, you know, does Kenny Pickett hit that bucket for me, you know, there's nothing I've seen that would say he is, you know, got the capacity to project into that lower tier, that tier of young guy who's just superstar on the horizon, ready to go. But I've been wrong many times. Did you see that from like Herbert, for instance, out of the gate? I know Allen is a different, like, let's take him out because he's the weird outlier in terms of being the guy who 
you know, had accuracy issues for a couple of years and all of a sudden that's gone, you know? So let's take him out. But like a Justin Herbert, for instance, did you see it immediately? No, not at all. When I, when I turned on Herbert's college film, there was nothing about it that made me think that he could do what he has done on Sunday. And I, and in fact, you know, I, I'll, I'll own the fact that I was very wrong on Justin Herbert, but I'll also own the fact that the chargers were wrong on Justin Herbert. Like he was sitting, you know, there, there's, if there's not like a medical emergency before a game, he's not playing. So don't, you know, it's one of those things where nobody knew that he was going to do, be that dynamic and be that awesome with his kind of arm capacity and be able to create and just special throws, right? Like just almost every week doing something where you just kind of shake your head, driving the ball down the field. How do you miss that? You know what I mean? Like, because it's not like, oh, he knew, he knows exactly where to go with the ball at the right time. Like that's like an intangible type of thing sometimes that maybe you wouldn't see in practice, but like arm talent, stuff like that. You would think that that's something that would like jump off the page either in college in the buildup to that or in training camp or in the preseason or something like that, that you kind of have a better idea of like what you have in those sorts of tangible ways. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you how I missed it. You know, when you turn on his college film, what Oregon was at the time was very RPO screeny kind of, you know, spread the ball horizontally and get the ball out of your hand quickly. And then occasionally he would just spray the ball. And, and one of those things, meaning that like the quality of the miss, when you measure like the accuracy element of it, like, you know, did he just put it behind him? Or is it on his back hip? Is it on his back number? No, we're missing by yards. And so the, the, the ability for him to throw the ball where he wanted the ball control at the college level wasn't there. And so when you lump that into what they were asking him to do, and again, sometimes that's the thing about the college game is, is it what they're asking him to do or is that? Are they asking him to do that because he can't do anything else? And most of the time it's that very, you know, I think if anybody has something to answer to, it's the guys who are coaching at Oregon, you know, why didn't it look more like Justin Herbert like that? You like know, this? Obviously and it looked like that? Like, yeah. Like what, what were we doing? What, what was happening? So, you know, those, those are the things that I always kind of shake my head at, but yeah, he didn't look anything like that on his college film. When you are doing videos on people like this and these kinds of questions or concerns or thoughts uh, pop up into your head, are you, because you do have uh, to a degree, a Rolodex of like some quarterback coaches that are out there. Like I know, you know, you obviously played with Jordan Palmer, uh, who is somebody I reached out to, by the way, to try and track you down. Uh, he told me you don't do very many interviews, so I shouldn't get my hopes up. So again, you didn't believe me that I was excited. I worked hard for this. Um, but Jordan Palmer obviously works with a lot of quarterbacks. Would you like shoot him a text in that case and say like, Hey, is this a thing or is this not a thing? Or this is what I'm seeing. Or do you just kind of like roll with what your thoughts are? So I almost intentionally don't do that. Mm. So I, I almost want it to be just what the film is. And so that certainly leaves me open to gaps. You know, I'm, I'm never having conversations. I, I almost don't, it's almost easier for me not to know the guys, you know, bizarrely, like there are some guys that are still playing that I've played with and that know, and that it's a little bit, you know, you feel like that, like personal relationship, like, Oh, you know, not that they give a shit what I say, you know, at, certainly on YouTube, but like this idea of being like, you know, I know this cat, like I know how he operates. I know how hard he works. I know like there are, when I don't know them, I could just be like, Hey, this is what the film is. And, and this is what it is. And so, but it does operate and create blind spots because you don't know the intangibles. You don't know the, you know, maybe leadership capacity or, you know, the intangible traits of what he's like, you know, inside the building, outside the building, those types of things that, but I just want it to be the film because that's what I can control. That's what I can see. And that's really the evidence that I can kind of project onto the audience and be like, Hey, this is the throw. You know, I don't know exactly how they're teaching it. I'm not in the quarterback room, but I can tell you from 10 stops in the league, this is how it's usually done. And so, you know, we've got some areas of improvement that we can get to quickly. I think that's a smart approach. It's interesting that you say that, though. I would have guessed differently based on having watched a, a Desmond Ritter clip of yours and the types of phrases that you use to describe him, though I'm sure a lot of quarterback analysts would see these same things. The phrases that you used were exactly what Jordan Palmer has been working with him this off season. Like I went down and I watched them work for a day and I kind of sat in on them watching tape and you kept hitting the fact that there was no wasted movement in uh, some of the plays that you had uh, that you isolated. And that was exactly what they were working on was making sure that like everything he did was purposeful and kept him balanced and 
all this stuff. So I thought the phrasing there, it sounded like you had probably talked to him about that and knew that that was something that they'd worked on. The fact that you hadn't talked to him about that, I think is very interesting because it means that they were, uh, they had some success in terms of the things that they were focused on with him in this off season. Well, well, Jordan's no dummy. Uh, he, he, sir, he invited me to come up and see how they operate. And I know you think he did something similar. Yeah. And so, you know, and Jordan and I have been coached by the same people. So Jordan has certainly taken one side of the kind of process to a whole different level as far as the biomechanics and the training. And, and that's, that's his wheelhouse. And so we probably meet in the middle as far as kind of the quarterback position, as far as how we come at it, whether it's scheme or, you know, different ways to be able to talk about the position, but there are certainly a significant amount of overlap and I'm always trying to learn and he does certain things really well. And certainly he has phrases that I think kind of encapsulate how the position is played really well that can overlap into just about anybody's game who does it at a high level. Going back to uh, Pickett and the original rookie that we were talking about there, my concern with playing him right away is more linked to the offensive line. Um, I'm not sure that if I am developing somebody to be my franchise quarterback in the future, that I would want to put him right out of the gate while he might not be a hundred percent ready yet behind an offensive line that might make his job a little bit harder. I, and so my thought was that they would start with Trubisky and just kind of ride that. I also think it's easier to pivot off of Trubisky than it is to pick it, pivot off of um, Pickett. But I'm curious about what you saw from Pickett in terms of uh, playing in the specific offense that they would ask him to play in this year, in what ways you think he might be ready and in what ways you think he might not be ready and might benefit from some time on the sideline. Well, I mean, I'm not sure anybody ever benefits from time on the sideline. I, I'm sure you can kind of say, you you know, learn from watching those types of things. And if you talk to guys- Let me rephrase then more reps in practice before you're like thrown to the wolves in a game. Yeah. I think what he showed on film in just the preseason would translate to potentially playing well in that type of system where, you know, I think for a long time, the Steelers have gotten the ball out quickly, you know, kind of that short intermediate thing. That's kind of probably frustrating to Steelers fans. I think the thing that he brings that kind of Trubisky brings also is the playmaking ability, you know, that maybe they haven't seen with a, with an older Roethlisberger the last few years. So you know, what that looks like, who's better, you know, to me, honestly, it's probably six, one half dozen to the other for Trubisky and Kenny Pickett at this point, you know, who knows which one necessarily might be that out of structure, better playmaker down the field type thing. But for me, I just, I guess I've been in too many quarterback rooms where there's a first round draft pick and we're all pretending that he's not going to play. Like, you know, like we, I get it. Like, I know Tomlin is probably going to say what he really believes and the best guy who's going to for going to give them a chance to win is going to play. Okay. But you know, like let's circle back in November and see how Kenny Pickett's doing when he's out there playing. Do you think that's always in the, the first round picks best interest though? I'm sure always probably doesn't capture every single one, but in most cases I would imagine it is. And I think the game has changed so much recently, not recently, the last decade, half decade where coaches are more fluid in their ability to be able to shape things to allow their quarterback to be successful. As opposed to back in the day when you come in the league, they'd be like, Hey, we run the West coast system. You got to do this, do this, do this. Well, now, you know, the Sunday game kind of looks like the Saturday game. You know, there's a lot more shotgun, a lot more RPOs, a lot more spread. And so I think that the ability to step right in and play might be a little bit easier for some of these guys. And, and I, you know, the thing about it for me is when you're drafted in the first round, you know, you're drafted for a reason. Like, I, and I know Mitchell Trubisky was drafted really high, really recently, but for me, it's just hard to, I think it's hard for the whole organization to put everything on pause and realize the number one draft pick is not playing. And, you know, what are we doing? We're all just kind of hanging out, waiting to, for us to take the next step. Niners obviously are a team that kind of, um, could be described in the way that you're describing them. At least last year, they could have been. They took Trey Lance very early, gave up an awful lot to move up to get him. Surprised a ton of people. I think they are um, kind of on the hook for him being a good quarterback. Um, and he didn't necessarily look like a sure thing based on what little we saw from him in the preseason. 
what do you see in his game that that you like and what uh red flags do you think there might be at this point i mean i probably come down on the side of there's a lot to like you know when you when you start i, I like to give especially guys who have been in the league for a long time when i think of like the shanahan's they, they probably have a pretty good idea of what they want and, and what they're looking for and maybe not, not to take anything away from Jimmy Garoppolo, because when Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy, he wins and it's proven he wins, but he's not winning at what they want, the level that they want to win at. And so to be able to go out on a limb and make that, I think is, is pretty, pretty cool decision. And so is Trey Lance, that guy, I think he does bring certain things that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't do to the forefront and the ability to drive the ball down the field, just the arm talent, the arm strength to be able to stretch the field vertically. And then when you layer in the athletic ability, maybe the playmaking ability to be able to run the ball, what that will look like, will they incorporate that? I think for me, I I might actually even go back. I've I've said this to myself now a few times to go back and watch how Shanahan called games for RG3 back in the day when, when they were together for that amazing rookie year. I think if he, if you go back, what I remember off the top of my head was that they almost overused his running ability and got him nicked up towards the end of the year. And so, It'll be interesting to see how he kind of layers in Trey Lance's athletic ability and be able to run the ball to be able to get, you know, a career out of him as opposed to one dynamic season. But for me, I just think it'll make him more explosive. They probably won't be as consistent, but will they be more explosive? Will they be more dynamic? Probably, but we'll see. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious that they rolled the dice on the higher upside and that they think that he brings uh, more of a ceiling to the table for them as a team. My question is whether or not he can do the easy things easily. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's one of the things that Jimmy Garoppolo kind of did well. Like he operated in their system, what they asked him to do, which oftentimes was not a ton, you know, but like he could operate what they wanted him to do relatively well. And I think we saw a little bit of uh, some accuracy issues from Trey Lance, maybe in the preseason. At least that's what it looked like for me sitting where I sit, knowing what I know and what I don't know, obviously, is a lot. Um, but I think that that's my biggest question mark for him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair. I don't think you're wrong. I think that there were some throws that he missed that he should make and he should be more consistent with. But I'd imagine he, he's a guy, and I'm going to hear myself make excuses here. He's a guy who hasn't played a lot of football. You know, he just hasn't. Came out early. COVID year, played one game that year, you know, didn't play last year. And so there'll be some growing pains, I imagine. But I think to say that they have a higher ceiling is probably is not a bad way to frame it. I think that they have the capacity to be much more dynamic offensively. And when you're at the end of a game, a championship moment, and someone's got to make a play, you got to have the capacity to have that guy be a playmaker. And I think Trey Lance has the capacity to be that guy. Now, does that mean he'll be the next Mahomes or Josh Allen? You know? Who the hell knows? It's not me to to put a ba- you know a boundary on his capacity to play, but I think it's if there was a situation where I could pick and choose, be like, where would I want to play quarterback right now with what team, what franchise, what coach? It'd be hard to pick another one besides that situation. And so, and a guy who's proven to be able to tailor that system, you know, he's going to be, you know, they're going to be locked in with the run game. They always have all sorts of shifts, movements, great in the run game, the play action mirrors the run game every single week. It's almost like poetry as far as how they do that, use the guys and spread the field and use different personnel groups. And so you add that with a guy who's more dynamic and can spread the ball down the field and run it, you know, I'll take my chances. Yeah. Uh, Shanahan, uh, that, that's how I feel about the Niners just in general this year is regardless of what questions I have about Trey Lance, I have enough faith in Kyle Shanahan to make it work. And to get a good read on what he can do and maybe what he can't do and then put them in situations to succeed. Uh, to me, he's one of the best coaches in the NFL. I'm really eager to see how Mike McDaniels kind of lifts that Niners uh, offense, so to speak, and places it down in Miami and how how similar the Dolphins look to the Niners in terms of just like what they want to do offensively this year. I think there's no doubt that he's going to try to do some of the same things. And he's tried to build a personnel group there uh, with people who can do some of the same things that we've seen the Niners do. I really like the moves that they've made in the off season. And I'm really curious about 
how the pieces will change the type of Tua that we see this year. What do you think that we'll see from Tua based on what we saw from him or have seen from him so far um, and what the pieces are that are now around him? In what ways do you think we'll see a different Tua this season? I think I hope we see a more comprehensive quarterback. You know, I think that Tua, the film that Tua's put out there has shown some significant holes in what I think most NFL quarterbacks operate who play a long time. And so there are certain things that he does really well. You know, there's no denying that that dude can operate in an RPO system as well as anybody. But when everybody knows that and everybody's sitting on that, you know, now do we have the capacity to drive the ball outside the numbers? Do we have that capacity to take the roof off this, the coverage and drive the ball down the field to the fastest guy in the league? And I think when you add that with potentially, you know, I don't know. That's always the interesting thing for me with new coaches is, especially when they're not the quote unquote play caller. Like, I don't know how much he had to do with calling the game, the offensive game plan, you know, what that looked like. Every staff is different, right? Like, who knows? what really happened behind closed doors as far as how those things come together. But now that he's going to be able to do that himself, what that will look like paired with new weapons, a dynamic perimeter, elevated expectations, and just the fact that we got to see more. I, I think everybody has to see more from Tua, but I think if he's healthy, I think he can, I don't know if he'll ever be, you know, the Herbert Josh Allen type arm talent, but I think he can certainly do more pushing the ball down the field. You pair that with some play action and some shots with those weapons. And I, again, I think that's a really great situation to be in. But at the same time, you know, nobody knows what he's going to be as a head coach. I think everybody's excited to see. But, you know, we've all been excited about head coaches that are probably, you know, broadcasters now. <laughs> you talk about the... um the Tua and how involved he's been in the offense in the past. And I think that that's a big component of this here. Like, I think that he will be in a position to at least feel more ownership and to be, to feel more empowered because it seemed like from the outside, like uh, maybe the previous regime didn't a hundred percent buy into him and maybe they had good reason not to, but when he was drafted, they sort of built the offense around Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, it was not really structured for him. And it felt like because of the way that they kind of put him in, took him out and put him in, took him out, like maybe they weren't the coaching staff anyway, that they weren't necessarily his biggest fans. And I wonder how much that does for a quarterback, just mentally, like how important it is to feel empowered by the guy who's coaching you to, to, to feel like he likes me. Like, I wonder that about Kirk Cousins this year, you know, because it felt a little bit in these last couple of years, like Mike Zimmer might hate him. So now if you've got a quarterback uh, or a coach who's coming in and is like loving you up to steal a Pete Carroll phrase, I think that there's an it's intangible, but I kind of feel like that might actually be pretty important for somebody in the type of leadership position with all of the responsibilities that go with it for a quarterback. I'm sure it helps. I think what helps even more is to have someone who's structuring the plays and calling the plays that will put you in a position to be successful. And, you know, you touched on a handful of them as far as to a, you know, going in, coming out, you know, not winning the job. I would add, you know, health as much as anything else, you know, and then all that combined with a better perimeter as far as talent around him. I think it's, he got the opportunity to be for it to be really fun and to kind of, you know, cause a lot of people who have hated on him for a while now uh, to kind of eat their words, but we'll see. I mean, it really, you know, I'm as curious as anyone. There are many positions and we talked about a bunch of them already, but there's a bunch of kind of curious quarterback jobs, roles, you know, what does it look like? Are they really invested in this guy moving forward? But at the same time, what a great opportunity for Tua. I mean, it, it really is a great opportunity to be healthy, to have a staff that believes in you, to have maybe a little bit more of a quote unquote, like, contemporary pro offense, you know, no offense to what they were doing in the past, but you hit on it. I might say a different way, but to me, a lot of dated stuff that there's better stuff available now that this new coaching staff will be able to come you in. Like what Shane Gailey was doing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was just, I think it, one way to put it is to say it's not taking advantage of to a skill set. The other is to say that it hasn't necessarily evolved with the way that the league and ball has evolved. And so, when you fall behind a little bit and maybe some scheme catches up with you, 
and you feel like you don't have the answers that you would love to have on a Sunday. And, you know, especially if you're a young guy and you might not even know that you might just, you know, I feel like, you know, everything's tight or everything's condensed as opposed to realizing like, Hey, these other guys are scheming these people open. You know, what the hell's going on here with, with these other people throwing the wide open guys. And I feel like everybody's on me and, and everything is tight and condensed. And when you don't have the answers and you don't realize that there are other answers available, I think it really feels like this league is a little bit harder than it is. And it's a hard league, but at the same time, when you feel like, Hey, I think as a quarterback, all you want is, Hey, these are our answers this week. If we see this, we can do this. We can change. We can be adaptive. We can be in the moment. We can coach on the sideline. We can coach at halftime. And watching those games in the past, I felt like this is like, hey, this is just who they are. Good luck to a, you know, try another RPO. You know, it's just not, it was frustrating. You touched on this right out of the gate, talking about your time in the league and realizing when you were there that sometimes you were around people that you were like, maybe this person shouldn't be here. Maybe they're not. You know, it's not just littered with the greatest football minds um, in history. Who, from a coaching standpoint that you see out there, aside from like the obvious, you know, but the younger guys, maybe when you watch tape, are there any coaches that have jumped out at you where you're like, they're, they're just, they are putting these people in a position to succeed in such a way where it makes you believe like they actually are going to be very good at this. Question. Uh, guys at the league level. Cause I think, yeah. I, I guess I think of it more as like, I think people think that just because you're in the NFL, that you're the absolute mm-hmm. best at your job. And I think that there are great coaches at really every level. You know, I, I think the creativity of the game probably happens at the lower levels a little bit faster, a little bit quicker. Yeah. Oh yeah. But at the league level, geez, now you're putting the pressure on me. I know. You know, I, I personally am interested to see like what a guy like Ken Dorsey does. And oh yes, Buffalo, because mm-hmm. I think that the bar is so high there, right? Everybody has Super Bowl aspirations. You know, he, I think he's he's been a quarterback coach for a long time, and what that looks like with that kind of talent, you know, to be able to go out there and you know, is he a guy who just has an amazing year and he's a head coach next year, or do they take a step back or for whatever reason? I, I think those types of things are interested to me just because he's kind of the same genre age group as I am, playing through the league and bouncing around. It'd be fun to see kind of how he operates, but. I don't know if there's any one guy that I'm like, gosh, he's, he's fascinated at the, at the scheme wise. I guess that's my, that was my way of asking you the, the flip side, the more positive uh, question of the one that really popped into my head, which is like, who are those guys? You know what I mean? Like the ones who maybe you're jumping off the page at you who are like, that's not great. Like I've mentioned Nagy. Like I was like, I've seen enough. Thank you very much for coming. Um, Don't let the door hit you. And I think the Nagy is an interesting case study for me, just because he is from that kind of arrangement where who knows how Andy Reid, like I've never been on Andy Reid's staff. I've never played for Andy Reid. I'm assuming that he's got a pretty significant role in kind of the structure of that game plan and how those things are called. For Matt Nagy to get that job, to get a head coaching job and for it not to work versus Doug Peterson to get a job in kind of a similar role and for it to work, win a Super Bowl, not work all the way in Philadelphia, but catch on somewhere else. And then like a guy like Eric Bieniemy to be in pretty much what I think most people would consider the same role and to not get that opportunity. You know, I, I think that there is some kind of questionable elements as far as just like how this is happening and why this is happening. But for me, a, another guy that I just thought of similar, just because I'm anecdotally from my own experience, like a guy like Brian uh, Leftwich, like in a really, really unique situation. Like, I mean, you know, you and I probably could do a pretty good job of calling plays for Tom Brady. Tom, what do you like? Great. Let's do that. (laughs) Do that. But at the same time, like (laughs) he's done it, you know, for a long time now and he bounced around and he's going to get an opportunity probably to be an NFL head coach really soon. But those to me, those kind of unique situations, especially in the league, because I think people don't really quite get how it's more of like a colleague than it is like the authority figure at lower levels of football. You know, at lower levels of sports, it's kind of, hey, the coach said this, I need to go run a lap. Or the coach said this, we're going to... I feel like at professional sports, it's more of, hey, I'm, what can we do to put you in a, in a position to be successful? And that, that kind of mindset relationship, which is a little bit different than a lot of people think of. And I think those two guys, Dorsey and Leftwich, are in really great situations to have great years and kind of project themselves onto a really quality job next. Where do you land on Russell Wilson? 
with the Broncos based on what you've seen from him the last couple of years? <laughs> uh, Awkward chuckle. Uh, I, I, I'm, Loaded question. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I, think, I think he has earned the opportunity to go somewhere else and play the way that he wants to play. I think is, is honestly what it comes down to. I think, you know, he's had such an impressive career for so long up there with maybe playing football the way that maybe not the way that he wants to play and has earned the opportunity to go do it somewhere else. Is that going to happen at Denver? I don't know. I, I, I don't have anything nice to say. What? You don't think it's going to happen at Denver? Well, I think they're in a tough spot for a whole bunch of levels. I, I think it's a tough division. Uh, I'm not sure that the perimeter is quite as good as people think it is in Denver uh, as far as just the talent, what they've been able to do. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong and uh, probably will be, but I think he's earned. I think the thing about it is he's earned the right to go do that. And now we'll see. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a lot different when, when you're the guy and you got to carry the load for the entire every single week offensively and for a franchise than being able to rely on a really good defense and a really good fan base you know, with a head coach that's established and has won, it's, it's just different. So we'll see. What did you see from him on tape at the end of the year last year? How much of what we saw from him, let me reframe. Do you think we could put on him? Because obviously there was a lot of discussion about the offense, not being what he wanted to run. I felt like there got to be a point where we saw him not do things that looked like the old Russell Wilson. And I don't know how much of that is just like you get to a point where you're like, I am underwater in a situation that's bad. Right. Like, and I've been in that situation in TV where you're like, I don't like my producer and I were not on the same page. I'm getting all sorts of stuff. It's making me feel like I'm behind the eight ball. You're not getting my best self. And so potentially that's what the case was there. It just got to be a bad situation for him. It wasn't a good fit. And like, so he kind of combusted in a way that's a very extreme way of, I think, describing his play at the end of the year last year. But I think that there were examples where you were like, it's not just everybody else. You know what I mean? Like there were some examples that looked like he wasn't playing the way that we were used to seeing him play. Did you see that? Or is that an unfair assessment of what we saw from him on tape? I think there, that's not, I think it's fairish. You know, I, I think the thing for me with Russell Wilson has always been what he does. And I guess this is how I look at the position in general is what does this person do really well? And so for me, Russell Wilson, has an amazing deep ball, just a like a world-class, it's like dropping out of a helicopter, perfect, just unbelievable touch. And he's got this playmaking ability. Now, when you, those things, when you tether those together, those are going to come with blind spots that usually mean you're holding onto the ball. You know, you may be not as quick making a decision in rhythm. You don't probably show a whole lot of anticipation. You maybe don't throw over the middle quite as much. You need to see it. And it's kind of a see it, throw it guy. And just kind of what he was working with on the perimeter as far as talent and what those guys look like allowed for them to be framed a certain way. But, you know, I, if I was coaching quarterbacks for Russell Wilson, watching his film from last year, maybe the last few years is, I think he's got the, he's got the kind of negative ability to be able to try to do too much himself sometimes. And when it works, he's cooking and everybody's cooking and we're all, you know, we're all excited to be there. But that has a blind spot and a flip side really quickly to be like, hey, bro, sometimes just check it down. You know, like just we don't need to take the runaround sack every other series. Just have a have that internal time clock to be like, and you'll stay healthy. You know, get rid of the ball a little bit quicker. But to me, that those are it's that's always the easy thing to be like, hey, quarterback, just get rid of the ball quicker. Well, it's also on the offense coordinator, the play caller to construct plays to get the ball out of your hands quicker. You know, it's, it's that awkward relationship and you touched on it. Sometimes things are just over. Like we just need a different scene. Everybody needs to move on and it's okay to say, Hey, this was a great run where you go your way. I'll go my way. And we'll see who kind of what it looks like on the other side. I think, you know, when I think of things like that, I think of like Brady, you know, it just felt like his last year in new England, it had just run its course. And so for him to go somewhere else, go win a Super Bowl. And for Belichick to be like, hey, was it Brady? Was it Belichick? You know, like now they're kind of going at it a different way and they've got their own issues in New England. But you can see just kind of like sometimes the reason that there's magic is because of their relationship, that what it was for Carol and young Russell Wilson. 
that was really special what they were defensively. It's okay to acknowledge that and say, that time has come and gone. Now Russ wants to do it this way. We'll see. Good luck. What do you think of Brady's old squad? Last question about a specific team, I guess. The Patriots for me are very, like I've said before, I think nobody has earned the benefit of the doubt more than Bill Belichick, right? So I will not be out here like screaming from the rooftops, not to expect anything good this year, but there have been a lot of like, no one has needed that benefit of the doubt more this off season, I think, than the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick, because some of their decisions have been pretty head scratching for me. And I'm, I'm, I, I don't totally get it, what they're doing with Mac and the offense. And <clears throat> I'm not sure. I, I think it's really, that's a really nice way to put it. I think when you turn <laughs> on the film, I think when you turn on the film, it gets a little scarier. It really does. And, and besides the, like, you know, the, the title, who's calling plays, whatever. I don't really care about that. And I, I'm the same way as far as Belichick earning the benefit of the doubt in anything to do with scheme. But when you turn on the film, there are pass pro issues everywhere. There are, there is no separation on the perimeter. Every throw is contested. And so it's those types of things where you can say, yeah, we're holding back scheme. We're not going to show a lot in the preseason. Okay. But it's still one-on-one. You still got to win the block. You still got to create space on the perimeter. And that's the part where I'm like, you know, it, it doesn't look great. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't be fine quickly. And there's no one I trust more to have their team playing the best in December and after Thanksgiving than that coach. But what it looks like right now and just acknowledging the fact that it's not great, I think is totally fair and realizing I'm personally fascinated to see just what, what they look like on their ability to win anywhere. You know, they're not winning at the line of scrimmage. They're not creating any sort of protection. Mac Jones doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. And, and to see any type of a regression, you know, you're going to see some regression. It's not all going to be perfect. But I think for me, you know, it's really hard, kind of similar to how I think of Justin Fields to a certain extent. Like, it's really hard to play quarterback well when you feel like you're not surrounded by a great system and great, great help to feel like, you know, how are we really judging this? Like, are we just going to give like a pause year? You know, are we going to be okay, you know, not winning a lot, of, a lot of games, but still trying to control what you can control and play NFL quarterback? It's hard as hell. And so trying to make sense of that, especially in the preseason, especially when you're kind of overreacting to kind of oversimplified right. football is really tough. Yeah. And, and when some teams are clearly just trying things out, you know, some teams are like, you're not game planning necessarily, but in some ways it is relevant. In some ways it's not. Preseason's just confusing for me. Um, looking ahead to the regular season, as we are about to embark on week one and not a moment too soon, who are you most excited to see? Who do you, who do you like when you pop on the tape, who like gets you excited the most? Well, quarterback wise, I'm excited to see, you know, what all the top guys do. I don't think there's anything, you know, bizarre with that. I think I'm excited to see how Aaron Rodgers gets that perimeter that he's playing with to play at his yep. level. I'm sure he will. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to think that he won't. You know, I'm, I'm excited. We talked about Trey Lance. I'm excited to see what Trey Lance looks like. I'm probably not going to do like the, I probably will do it just for the channel, do kind of the overreaction week one, week two, but I'm excited to see like what a, a month of the season looks like for that offense, because I, I, I am fascinated to see how Shanahan uses his ability to run the ball. Wait, that's a good huh. point. So what you think like a month, because we do overreact after week one and after two weeks, like everybody is just up in arms about everything. What do you think is a fair time frame? Like, what do we need to give those situations that we have question marks attached that we've been talking about here on this podcast a month? Well, I think every situation is going to be a little bit different, but I think what they are over the course of a month, you'll be able to see them kind of empty their clip of artillery as far as what, how they want to use him. And so, you know, It'll be fascinating to see, like, does he run the ball inside the five in the red area? You know, like I think of like Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not going to get a whole lot of carries from the 20 to the 20, but they will run him. And, he, and you know, he's a unicorn when it comes to that type of stuff and what that looks like. You know, it will be Devin single Singletary fantasy owners know, uh, know well. Yeah, exactly. The other one that I'm, I'm always I'm just a, a fan of how he plays and, and how it's just different is just. Can Lamar Jackson take any sort of significant step being um, not necessarily a, I don't want his game to change and become a pocket passer, but if he can layer in any sort of more consistency from the pocket, 
I just think it, it would just light the league on fire again. How? But how is he going to do that this year? Like they've, they've made no moves to put people around him to develop that part of his game. Which is fair. But I, I mean, my thing about it is, I guess I, I look at it less as, I, and there's a part of me that wants to look at it and be like, hey, I've been in a huddle before where you feel like, you know, you might not have the weapons that you would love to have to be able to attack everywhere. But the other part of it is, is that's another one of those, what I consider just a great organization. Like they have championship aspirations, whether it happens all the time or not. And they're kind of structured to be consistent and be, and they have this like long-term approach. And so to play championship level offensive football nowadays, you can have your unique offense where you kind of run this quarterback tight end heavy thing. And I think we can make the addition of a more consistent ability to throw the ball from within the pocket on time in structure. And I think it's going to happen eventually. It might not be this year because of the reasons you alluded to, but I really do think that over the course of his career, he's going to evolve into a guy who can do that at a higher clip. They're in a weird position with him because his, you know, he wants to get paid and understandably wants to get paid and feels like he has a better argument than a lot of quarterbacks around the league who are getting paid. Uh, if he's asking, if he's asking for a fully guaranteed deal now that that bar has been moved because of Deshaun Watson, could you see the Ravens making that deal? And based on what you've seen from Lamar Jackson and what he would bring to them as a team that's looking to win a championship every year, do you think that they should make that deal? I mean, a hundred percent. Yes. Okay. I, you know, I think it's one of those things where you, where you have to, yeah. you know, I, I think it's an added layer of maybe complex relationships wise, because I think, isn't he his own agent? Like there's not like that yeah. little person to be able yep. to handle it, which, which honestly I couldn't imagine doing, but no. good for you. If you want to save a couple percentage points, I'm all for you, but it's just, it's fascinating. Like it, it's just fascinating to me that that's the case and that they would potentially play this guy or God forbid he just say, I'm not going to play those types of things that would just be, you know, a bomb for the organization. But as just a fan of the position, I think the position is better with unique talents, like what he brings to the table. And, and I just, you know, whether we think they haven't done enough on the perimeter to allow him to thrive as a pocket passer to me it is irrelevant from the standpoint of just wishing that for him and allowing him that the opportunity to do that. Because when I think he, if God forbid, he was ever able to develop into that more consistent, precise passer from the pocket and with what they do in the run game, be pretty special. GT, you're the best. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, that was fun. Appreciate it. telling you go follow him you will like his videos you can find them at the qb school on youtube and twitter his handle is jt underscore o'sullivan but i think he primarily uses the qb school one so that'll do it for us today reminder set your lineups in fantasy i know you just drafted but just in case my son actually found obj in a lineup of mine last week as a starter which i don't understand at all since he was clearly drafted in a backup spot. But my point is, weird things happen. Just check the roster to make sure. Also, though, don't overthink this week. I'm not a huge proponent of moving people around in week one. I feel like you drafted people where you did for a reason. So don't go moving one of your best players to the bench just because he has a tough matchup, you know? And if you're around on Sunday and have DirecTV, they're doing a free preview of Sunday Ticket Max, which means that you get Red Zone for free. Also, the show I do for free, that is the Fantasy Zone channel. It's kind of like watching Red Zone with a handful of friends who are really, really into fantasy football. So if that describes you um, and something that you would be interested in watching, we'll be there for seven and a half hours on Sunday on Channel 704. We have a good time. I think you'll like it. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this episode, please, please, if you could smash that five-star button and leave a review, that would be rad. Also, while you're hitting buttons, maybe that one that says subscribe. I think it's a plus sign on Spotify. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and I cannot wait to talk to you about games next week. In fact, almost forgot, but hugely important, we'll be going back to our 
regular season format next week of three episodes per week. We will be dropping episodes Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That last one will have kind of a fantasy slant with favorite plays for the week, DFS suggestions, stuff like that. And speaking of DFS, uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, there is still time up until game time to join my huddle on the Hall of Fantasy app. And if you are into fantasy, I legit think this is something you should do. And I wouldn't tell you (laughs) if I thought it was kind of lame and you probably shouldn't do it. This, I think, is something that you will actually benefit from doing, might actually be up your alley. It's pretty cool. They're doing a season-long DFS-style contest this year, totally free. It's called Legendary Lineups, where you set a roster every week and you accumulate points. They put players into tiers. There are eight tiers, and you choose one player from each tier every week. And like I said, you collect points. And at the end of the year, the leading scorer in every single huddle, there's 12 huddles, will get $5,000. That's $60,000 to go around. The leading scorer in every one of those 12 huddles gets $5,000. And you don't have to pay a dime to sign up and play. And if you are the leading scorer out of all of those 12 huddles, you get $9,000 in addition to the $5,000. So if you're interested, download the Hall of Fantasy app and then join my huddle, the Green Bay Winter Warriors. And then we can chat throughout the season and play fantasy football together. All right, now I'm really done. I've kind of like started the build up to that several times. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Thank you so much to Andrew Emmer for producing today's episode. Thank you to you for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Serious XM Podcasts.